Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. I'm Pam Larickia, longtime unschooling mom and author. Join me and my wonderful guests for interviews, information, and inspiration about unschooling and living joyfully with your family. You can find the episode show notes, your free introductory ebook, What is Unschooling?, and lots more information at livingjoyfully.ca. And here's the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 98 of the podcast. It's the 15th of November, 2017, as I record this intro. This week, I'm doing something a little different. I realized I haven't had an episode focused on sharing my own reflections on unschooling in a while, so I decided to share five of my blog posts that have really resonated with readers over the years. I thought it'd be great to have audio versions of them available, especially for those who haven't had time to dig through the many posts on my blog. But before we get started, I want to send a huge thank you to everyone who has chosen to support the show on Patreon, and a big warm welcome to new patron Tatiana. Hi, Tatiana. You guys inspire me to keep exploring the fascinating world of unschooling. And I've been thinking about this even more lately. With episode number 100 coming up, it seems an opportune time to reflect on my work with the podcast. I'll be recording a bit of an extended intro for that episode to share some of my thoughts. I'm looking forward to that. Anyway, I really appreciate your Patreon support, helping me share unschooling information with anyone who's curious to learn more about this wonderful lifestyle. And if you'd like to support the show, even for as little as a dollar a month, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash exploring unschooling. And now let's get started. The first blog post is titled, Who Am I and What Makes Me Tick? What activities do I like to do regularly? What really annoys me? What makes me smile? What food makes me feel good physically? How much food fills me up comfortably? Am I hungry when I eat? How much sleep helps me wake up feeling refreshed? Yet, if I'm excited about something, can I push through tiredness or am I mostly cranky? Do I think and learn better when I'm alone? Or do I prefer to bounce ideas around with others? Am I more relaxed and attentive when I'm nestled in amongst all my things or in a sparse environment because clutter is too distracting? When I'm interested in something, how do I like to learn about it? Do I sit back and observe, research? Do I dive in, give it a shot? Do I like baths or showers, morning or night? Do I like a routine to ease gently into sleep? Or do I like to keep going until I drop, content and exhausted? The answers to these kinds of questions paint a unique picture of who I am and what makes me tick. Many parents make these choices for their children. Tidy up your room before you go to play. It's bedtime. Go put your pajamas on and pick a couple books. Your t-shirt is dirty. Go put a clean one on. Finish your plate before you get down from the table. Why? I think there are a few reasons that mix and match to varying degrees. Uh, These are the ways that feel best for them, so they want to pass their wisdom along to their children. They like things tidy. They like to read before they go to sleep. They like their clothes spotless. 
They want their children to fit in smoothly with their routines so life is easier and less complicated. Maybe they've been told there are, quote, right ways to live their lives and they want to help their children develop those habits so they aren't judged negatively by others, even if the parents themselves don't feel they measure up. It's a noble ideal. They want their children to learn the right ways to take care of themselves so they become successful adults. But what does this have to do with unschooling? Well, let's find out. To start, I'd tweak the goal with two short but very important words. Want their kids to learn the right ways for them to take care of themselves so they become successful adults. We all have our own definitions of successful, but what a difference those two words make. For them. We're all different people, yes? Regardless of our age. Think about you and your spouse for a minute. You're reasonably successful adults. Do you go to bed at the same time? Get up at the same time? See, I'm more of a morning person while my husband's more of a night owl. Do you both like baths? For us, that's him more than me, if we brought in the definition of bath to include hot tub. What about living environment? Well, I enjoy being surrounded by things that make me smile, and if it's not in a pile I can see, I forget it exists, while he mostly finds clutter distracting. In essence, we're both pretty different in how we tick, our habits, our personalities, our likes and our dislikes surrounding day-to-day living. Those differences are part of life, and there is no one right way for individuals to live other than the way that works best for them. Why would we think that would be any different for children? So say I want my children to learn how they tick. Why are unschooling principles a good way to go about it? As I got more and more comfortable with the unschooling learning environment, as I saw my children's real learning in action, as I saw all the learning that comes through living, my eyes opened and thoughts swirled. For me, there were a couple key observations that swayed my choice. Firstly, this personal learning rose in importance in my eyes. With the education system's myopic K-12 view gone, I began looking at the bigger picture of their lives to view childhood as the growth of the whole person into adulthood. Digging deeper, I realized how important understanding myself and how I tick has been for all aspects of life. How exceptionally useful that information is as an adult in both my work and my relationships. And how since figuring that stuff out, my life has been much more joyful because I am no longer working against myself, meaning trying to act like someone else's vision of me. So much better. I also realized that it took a lot of time to explore and discover my quirks, my needs, my goals, and to realize that they change over time. For me, This understanding of themselves became something very important to pass along to my children, alongside their more academic learning. The second observation was about the learning. I came to see it's all learning. Over our first unschooling months, their learning became more intertwined with our living. I began to make less and less distinction between academic and personal learning. Both were happening in most situations. Their personality and current needs and ways of processing were just as vital to the learning process as was the academic knowledge or skill they were pursuing. 
and unschooling was supporting all of their learning spectacularly. As parents, we choose whether we'll extend unschooling beyond academics in our family. I just encourage you to make that choice mindfully. So let's tie this into last week's post about unschooling with strong beliefs. I think we can liken strong beliefs with strong rules based on the belief that these are the, quote, right habits a person should develop. Maybe that strength of belief comes because a parent had a very negative experience growing up that they are determined to help their child avoid. Maybe they are firm that their children do the things they think may have helped them avoid the situation, like early curfews, restricted activities, restricted food, etc. Again, the parent's motivation is understandable, but they have become stuck and can't see the real effect of their actions, the damage that attitude can do to their relationship with their children can be irreparable. They have put the issue above their children. If you do choose to move to an all-encompassing unschooling lifestyle, as with all unschooling learning, the key is when they're interested. As their parent, you have an idea how your children tick and can make a good guess at what works for them. They've been communicating that information to you since they were born. Don't overwhelm them with choices they aren't interested in making. But when they are interested in trying things differently, like a change in their going to sleep routine or in their eating habits or in how tidy their room is or whatever bit of life they are contemplating, be open to letting them explore. That's when their interest is peaked and their learning is sparked. There's one other point I'd like to touch on. It's common for those first hearing about unschooling to wonder skeptically, how do the kids learn to get up in time for jobs or to do what their boss tells them or to do any other adult thing the questioner finds distasteful so that they will grow, grow to be independent, successful adults who can pay their bills and get jobs? I mean, that's not a surprising question. It's a really big stretch at first. But think about it for a minute. It's actually not that illogical. Unschooling kids are making their own choices every day and throwing all their enthusiasm behind them. When they choose to start a job, their enthusiasm to follow their choice will help them get up in the morning more than any previous years of training to get up will. Unschooling has precisely helped them learn how to follow through with their choices and given them lots of practice in making good choices and understanding the motivation behind them. They won't see their job as a burden, one they must have trained for years, trained years for by getting up early and sitting bored at a desk for long hours and being forced to do things they don't want to do day in and day out. They will also make better job choices up front. Understanding themselves, they won't pursue a job that is a complete mismatch with their personality and lifestyle. And if they choose to take one that isn't a great match, they will have other reasons like the money or the schedule or the experience and so on. And those will motivate and reward them for going to work. Or if their job does become a burden, they will start looking around for a better match because that's what they've always done. When things don't work out, they don't feel stuck. They find ways to move on. They are wonderfully prepared to be independent, successful adults. Their learning is an amazing thing to witness. The second blog post is titled, Are You Playing the Role of Mother? Does that seem like a strange question? 
This month, we're talking about unschooling kids, and I've been remembering life around our house back when it included three children, 10 and under, with their beautiful yet seemingly endless energy bouncing through the day. I thought about the advice I often hear given to moms of younger children, like, remember to take time for yourself. And I began to ponder the motivation behind those phrases because they never really felt good to me. And it struck me. Phrases like that imply that there are two versions of the one person, the real person, you, and the mother. A quick aside, if you're a dad, I don't mean to specifically exclude you, but these conventional phrases are typically addressed to the mom, so I'm going to take that tack. Feel free to substitute parent and see if you too find yourself wrapped up in a role. So those meanderings led me to contemplate these questions. Are you not honoring and celebrating yourself as you interact with your children? Do you not feel genuinely you when you're with them? That you're playing the role of mother, not being yourself? Do you think of your time as divided into two distinct slices? There's time with the kids when I meet their needs and ignore mine, and time without the kids when I meet my needs and ignore theirs. Of course, it's not likely quite that black and white, but the questions get our brain juices flowing. On one hand, putting on that mothering role can feel protective for the mom, like a favorite sweater. It can tell her what to do. You should play with them. You should read to them. Or they should take a bath. Yet it can also become judgmental, swirling with echoes of the voices in her head. See what that word should does? That level of meta-thinking, thinking about what a good mother should do while actively mothering, can add a layer between you and your child that gets in the way of deeply connecting with them in the moment. It's like 75% of your brain is with them, and the other 25% is analyzing and judging every action you take. Instead, try to get fully in the moment with them. There is so much joy there. Of course, that doesn't mean we don't think about it ever. Analyzing our ideas surrounding the parent we want to be and brainstorming ways to get there from where we are now is how we grow as a parent, as a person. But that analysis can get in the way when you're in the moment. Another interesting question, are you doing something with your children because you think you should be doing it or because you know you want to do it? I think pondering that question can help you see the difference between playing a role and being that person. If you are choosing to be a mother, move beyond playing at it and be it. For me, this was part of learning to value my work as a mother. Instead of buying into the conventional idea that parenting is second-class work, that I'd be bored with my kids all day if I didn't turn off half my brain and look forward to my time away from the kids to replenish the real me, I decided to bring my full self to each day. I found the many reasons I choose to get on the floor and play face-to-face with my children, to take them to the park, to make messes with them. That was a big shift for me, realizing I didn't need to be away from my children to be a whole person, to fully be myself. I started looking for things that brought that person out and nurtured her while being with my children. For me, sometimes it was puzzle games with the kids or reading a magazine nearby as they played or watched TV 
or reaching for an almost meditative state during repetitive activities like pushing a swing or separating Lego pieces. A candle lit in the kitchen while I tidied or prepared some food. A light nap as they were engrossed in a movie. A walk around the block, giving us all new things to look at, including me checking out the neighbor's front gardens for ideas. A quiet coffee and a book for half an hour before the kids woke up. The whole me is always there. What do you like to do? What refreshes you? Let's brainstorm some things you might do for a few minutes here and there throughout the day that will help you feel whole and present, not stuck in a role waiting for your moment to step outside it and be yourself. You could dig into what you love, like a few minutes sitting outside with a coffee or tea in a magazine or a book, fiction worlds you enjoy or nonfiction about your own interests and passions. Maybe while the kids sleep, nap, or run through the sprinkler. Uh, How about refresh? Like a short midday soak in a bubble bath while the kids nap or watch TV or join you in the bathtub to play. Or you could get the creative juices flowing. Grab a sketchbook or some craft stuff you love and play. With supplies for everyone so the kids are welcome to join you or after they've fallen asleep for the night for more concentrated work. How about a change of scenery, a walk or bike ride around the block, alone after dinner while your partner plays with the kids or with them during the day or the whole family? How about getting the blood pumping? Maybe do some yoga or hooping or go online and look for some cheap trampolines for sale and do some trampoline bouncing. Again, alone or with the kids. Just start and they'll often join in. Asking yourself these kinds of questions helps bring your focus to you. Brainstorm some ideas for yourself and try them out. See how they feel. Obviously, you don't have the same time to dedicate to your interests as you did before having children, but that's understandable, right? Children are now one of your passionate interests. And as you do some of these things, even if only for a few minutes here and there, be mindful to give the moment your full attention Truly revel and refresh. Don't have your mind racing about other household stresses while you expertly navigate the stroller around the block. Where's the fun in that? And don't stress if things don't go as planned. Things may not always work out smoothly, but they won't always go awry either. And your children get to see you doing things you enjoy. They see you as a whole person, not only as a caregiver. And none of this is to say that you won't find times when the thing you really want to do is to be alone for a while or to meet up with a friend. So arrange a trip to the coffee shop or the library while your partner hangs out with the kids. Seek out an older child as a mother's helper for a while. But from this new perspective, one where you're not looking for an escape, but to live fully, you will understand why it's what you need, so you're much less likely to feel like you need to justify yourself with phrases like, I'm taking time to honor and celebrate me. Instead, you can just say, I'm going to the coffee shop for some quiet time to write in my journal. You don't need to wait for permission or a special occasion to be yourself. Just do it. Drop the role and be yourself. Be the mom and the person you want to be at the same time and bring that whole being into each moment with your children, with your partner, and with your friends. Being yourself 
It's a refreshing and inspiring place to be. The next blog post is titled, What Love Looks Like in Unschooling Families. Unschoolers can really be a confusing bunch to those looking in. On one hand, we appear to be sheltering our children from the real world by keeping them home. We're overprotective. On the other hand, we appear to not really care about our children because we don't enforce firm rules. Conventionally, it's almost a given that at some point parents will explain to their kids, I say no because I love you. Conventionally, boundaries equal love. And that's not hard to understand. Parents love their children and want them to be safe. Rules are for their children's protection. Rules equal love. Yet, all parents want to keep their children safe, and enforcing rules isn't the only way to accomplish that. Beyond reinforcing the adult-child power dynamic, I think one of the main reasons parents choose to use rules is to save time in their busy lives. Just imagine. Parents don't have to have a conversation each time their child asks to do X. They just point to the rule. No snacks before dinner. Parents don't have to take the time to deeply understand their child's individual capabilities. Just point to the rule. You're too young to use a knife. Parents don't have to discuss each situation individually, just point to the general rule that covers them all. No, you can't get your nose pierced. Remember the rule. No body modification, that means tattoos or piercings, while you're living in my house. The time-saving bit is absolutely true. Reminding children about a rule just takes a few seconds and helps parents feel more comfortable that they're actively protecting their children. Well, as long as their children follow the rules. Yet, the cost of saving this time can be found in the children's real learning. Rules or no, as parents, it's our children's learning that we're trying to support. Learning how to live and get along safely in the world. Yet, as humans, we're hardwired to learn, to ask why, and rules short-circuit that discussion. Memorizing a rule doesn't mean they understand the reason behind it. Rules can seem arbitrary when there's little discussion. And if the rules don't make much sense to them, their focus can become about finding ways to break the rules without being caught, not the issue that the rule was originally meant to address. If the goal is learning, rules are generally less effective than discussion and experience. What if freedom equals love? To those unfamiliar with unschooling who may catch us in action, it can look like we aren't very concerned about protecting our children. Our children are playing in the creek at the park, hanging upside down on the monkey bars, staying up until they are tired, traveling on their own to visit friends. But what looks like wild freedom to others looking in doesn't seem like risky freedom to those of us directly involved. That's because we have a deep understanding of both our children and the parameters of the situation. Those outside our family don't see the many conversations we've had with our children about these situations, about the things to consider, about things to do if X happens or Y. They don't see that we intimately understand the limits of our children's capabilities and that we trust, we know, that our children aren't looking to jump too far beyond their comfort zone. It's not that we've tossed the rules and life's a crazy free-for-all. It's that the rules have been replaced by another process. 
What those outside the family don't see, what they can't see because they don't live with us, is that for unschooling families, conversations have replaced rules and the child's comfort zone has replaced boundaries. Our conversations revolve around principles and around the needs of any other people involved. That means that the path forward may look different for similar situations at different times or if they involve different people. That's very different than a rule that says when X happens, always do Y. Those unfamiliar with unschooling often assume that if given the choice, children will choose danger and misbehavior. The parental boundaries are the only things keeping the children safe and sane. Yet time and again, unschoolers find that without imposed boundaries, children discover their own personal comfort zones. They don't want to feel out of control. Granted, their comfort zone and our anticipated boundaries can sometimes be very different. Sometimes their comfort zone stretches farther than ours, while other times it's closer. But neither the frustration generated from the constraints of artificial limits, nor the fear generated from pushing too far outside their comfort zone are conducive to learning. In their comfort zone is where the most effective exploration and learning happens. With this freedom from rules, unschooling children have the space and support to understand themselves, to explore the world at large, and to learn ways they can reach out and connect with others. Freedom can mean love too. As newer unschoolers move from rules and boundaries to freedom, it can be disconcerting for everyone. If they have equated boundaries with love, then a sudden removal of those boundaries can be confusing for the children. It can sound like, do whatever you want. And after the initial excitement wears off, lead them to ask themselves, don't they love me anymore? That's not a fun place to be. So step lightly as you transition. Instead of looking at the boundaries, look at your children. Instead of pulling out a rule, chat with your children. Work with each situation that arises individually. But probably not all at once. Pick one or two things for now where you think moving away from the rule will bring more peace. As that settles, pick another and then another. The wonderful thing about this process is that as we get to know our children better, that quote boundary, which used to be a rule and is now the child's comfort zone, shifts before our eyes. We begin to see our children's capabilities more clearly. They are often more capable than we first imagined. And as they come to trust that we are with them, not against them, they too discover and play with their comfort zone. They become comfortable admitting to you when they are tired or scared because they trust you will help them as they explore these zones, not belittle them with some version of, I told you so. Their self-awareness grows by leaps and bounds. There is no way around it though. Unschooling takes time. That said, it needn't look like nine to five. Your family's comings and goings and lifestyle may look unique, but in there is time. Time to be with your children. Time to talk with your children. Sometimes they may choose to flirt with the edges of their comfort zone. They may push their boundaries, but that's where some very exciting learning can happen. 
Sometimes the things our children do may seem risky to others looking in, but it will probably seem much less risky to us because we understand our children, their needs, their wants, and their capabilities. We talk with them. Their lives make sense to us. Beautiful, wonderful sense. The next blog post is titled, Five Unconventional Ideas About Relationships with Teens. One of the biggest fears I see mentioned over and over by parents is that their teens will make the same mistakes they did growing up. Parents of teens have, at this point in their lives, gained a certain perspective and feel pretty confident about the threat of actions and consequences that wove through their own teen years. Even beyond that, many imagine that if they could go back and do it all again, knowing what they know now, they'd do a better job of it. Mired in what they see as the perfect vision of hindsight, their mind starts each flashback with, if only. If only I'd hung out with a different crowd, I would have made better connections. If only I hadn't wasted my time, I could have made more money at my job. If only I had studied harder, I could have gotten into a better college. These are simplistic appraisals, but given what they see as a second chance, parents are confident they can engineer a better outcome for their teen, if only they would listen to me. And there it is again. We could dig deeper and wonder why as adults we are often drawn to tell the negative interpretation of the story of our lives. Maybe it has to do with the pessimistic view of their lives many were handed by their parents. Though it's helpful to ask ourselves if we really want to hand hand that tendency to our children. Why are we drawn to tell people all that is wrong with what we see rather than acknowledge much that is right? Does it make us feel better? Smarter? It's fascinating stuff, but let's save that rabbit hole for another day. I just wanted to plant that seed. So today, let's keep our focus on ways we can support our teens and help them write a different story their own story, not a shadow of ours. So back to the rather cynical, if only, recollections. Although I am suggesting that we as parents try to avoid projecting our personal experiences too deeply onto our teens, I don't mean to imply that we keep our thoughts to ourselves and leave them to figure out the world on their own. Far from it. Parents have experience and wisdom to share that can be very helpful. Yet to be truly helpful, it's important that our teens receive it in the no-strings-attached spirit we intend, or else our motivation is suspect and the information understandably discounted. So the atmosphere of communication is important. The relationship. Conventionally, relationships with teens are painted as either-or. Either you focus on maintaining authority, tough love, or you avoid challenges altogether and let them run wild. Yet unschooling families have found the beauty of living inside the spectrum of those two extremes. We continue to cultivate the strong and connected relationships we have built with our children over the years. It's a relationship paradigm that serves us well no matter our children's age. Let's look at some of the ways unschooling parents view relationships differently and what that can look like in the teen years. Notice how they all boil down to how we relate to them, as people, not possessions. So, number one, we drop the expectations. Unschoolers don't share their experiences or perspective with the expectation that their teens will reach the exact same conclusion. 
That's hard, isn't it? We know what we know. To us, for us, our experiences are fact. Well, for me, it's a kind of philosophical detachment. Not a detachment as in disengagement, but in appreciation of their individuality. Almost paradoxically, when I'm not living my life through them, I feel even closer to them because it's not about me. Their life is theirs to live. So I can detach from the outcome and drop my expectations. They are not younger versions of me, but unique beings in their own right. So though the experiences I share may be helpful to them, useful pieces to the puzzle of their life, I don't expect my stories to mean the same things to them. We are each building different puzzles. Number two, we realize that the circumstances of their lives are different than ours. So speaking of different puzzles, take a moment to realize just how different their childhood has been from our own. The pace of change has been accelerating at breakneck speed over our lifetimes. And this is a new thing. Comparatively, the pace of change from one generation to the next, even just a few decades ago, was almost negligible. What an interesting time in human history to be living. But it also means that the passing down of generational experience is more about bigger picture human issues like empathy and morality than any day-to-day advice to do this and get that outcome. The nuts and bolts of our stories are often no longer applicable because the world is changing so rapidly. For example, even mainstream society is starting to question the typical counsel to go to college and get a good job at a big company. That was the conventional definition of success in the industrial age and even deeply into the information age, but we are swiftly moving beyond that now. That advice, so adamantly passed on to us by our parents, has become hopelessly out of date as our teens move into the adult world. Number three, we don't presume we know better than they how they experience their lives. Well, this one can be a hard one too. We have more life experience. We remember a time when they were young children and totally dependent on us, and we came through for them. Here they are. Yet we can also acknowledge that we don't always know what they are thinking and feeling, how they are experiencing and interpreting the day-to-day moments of their lives. Sure, maybe we really enjoyed camping at the lake as a family over the last long weekend, but that doesn't mean they did. And they are not wrong to have disliked it. Different personalities and outlooks are just that. Different, not wrong. As I said, none of this is intended to suggest disengagement, that we don't share our experiences or that we leave them alone to figure out their own lives. What I hope people get out of this discussion is inspiration to listen to teens. They have intelligent information and insights about their own lives to share. Don't discount what they say just because it's different from your thoughts and perspective. Again, it's different, not wrong. Instead, if you try to connect what they're saying with what you already know, you just might create a bigger picture of the world for yourself. You're learning too. Which leads to number four. We don't assume that, as parents, we're always right. This seems to be at the crux of so much parent-teen conflict. At some point, teens are ready for more responsibility, more independence, more freedom. Yet, so often, parents are determined to keep them in that conventional childhood box as long as possible. 
the box where parents are right and their children need to do what they're told. With this new perspective, that their childhood environment is radically different than ours, that they are experiencing life in their own unique ways, and that our expectations are entangled with our life experiences, it is presumptuous of us to believe that our worldview will fit neatly into their lives. What was right for us, or what we imagine would have been right for us, may not be right for them. Which leads us back to where we started. Number five, teens are people too. Just because they are our children, they are not our possessions. They are people. And just because they are our progeny doesn't mean we intimately understand them. We need to get to know them and be open so that they get to know us. Build lasting relationships. And from there, we have lasting impact on each other's lives. My kids have inspired me countless times. I have learned things from them that have made me a better person. We continue to learn from each other. From childhood through the teen years and beyond, everyone wins with strong, connected, respectful relationships. And the last blog post is titled, Unschooling Grows Far Beyond Not School. It's pretty typical to move through adulthood staying generally disengaged from life. You do this and that and the other thing, like get a job, get married, have kids, send them to school. It's quite easy to do. The conventional treadmill carries you along and delivers you to each stop without much effort on your part. Yet for many, there's an inner conflict between what lives in their heart and the societal expectations in their head. Many manage to ignore it until midlife when, as children move out and things slow down, they find themselves evaluating their life so far and get tangled up in the aptly named midlife crisis. Others are drawn to examine the disconnect earlier, often following the hearts and minds of their children. No matter the path that led you to unschooling, with it you are choosing to step off the conventional treadmill. And once you've taken that first step, it becomes harder and harder to continue down that well-worn path of convention. Unschooling soon asks us to examine the deeper questions. When we choose unschooling, we likely do so with the intention of opening up the possibilities for our children, of giving them the space and the support to forge their own path through childhood. Yet, as we watch them in action, often spellbound, our minds begin to stretch even more, and soon we start asking that of ourselves. As unschooling parents, we espouse the joy of learning, champion the idea of lifelong learning, and we begin to realize that it applies to us as well. Our perspective grows. Who am I? What is my path? What kind of parent do I want to be? It becomes apparent that even as adults, we are not, quote, done. We can learn and change and take small steps each day towards being the person we want to become. We see our children exploring life with zeal. We join them. They are enthusiastically vocal in celebration of even the smallest victories. And in the next moment, they are struggling with frustration and deep sadness as things go awry. Each experience is expressed from the depths of their soul. We begin to reawaken, to remember what it means to be so directly engaged with life. It is beautiful. 
And we begin to feel protective of our children, not wanting them to lose that openness, that depth of feeling, both joy and sorrow as they get older. It begins to dawn on us that if we so eagerly want them to retain that lust for life into adulthood, if that's what living can look like in all its glory, as adults, couldn't we be living that too? Yes! <laughs> With that realization, we are drawn to exploring ourselves, to finding that depth of engagement in life with all its twists and turns and ups and downs. For maybe the first time, we really see the value in nurturing our spirit. It stuns us. We marvel that the journey we started to fully and deeply support our children and their learning has turned so completely around and we are learning so much from them about being alive and fully engaged with life. Often, we didn't even realize we were encased in a layer of conventional goo, a dour mix of expectations and judgment and fear, until we managed to wipe some away and rediscover that the world is fresh and interesting and inspiring. We are always learning. The learning is in the living. Looking back, I realized the biggest gift we give to our children and ourselves with unschooling is time. Time to live and to learn and to do it all again the next day, the next week, the next month. Time to cocoon, time to process, time to reflect. Time is at our disposal. It is not our master. When you first begin unschooling, it can feel like such a huge leap. One day the kids are going to school and the next day they aren't. Or they hit school age and the first day of school comes and they don't go. It is huge. And faced with that momentous act, it's so easy to get caught up in the idea that it must be met with equally huge goals and plans and activities. Instead, try baby steps. Gradual yet determined steps toward the person you want to be in this new unschooling family paradigm. And remember to take time for reflection, for turning your thoughts and observations over in your mind, for playing with the puzzle pieces and seeing how they fit together. It is in this time of contemplation that so many connections fall into place. And don't fret that you need swaths of alone sitting time to think. I recall many aha moments while doing the dishes or in the shower or tidying up the toys. And what else do we discover? That no matter how strongly we wish to know and understand it all right now, to have this life thing figured out, what makes us tick, what brings a smile to our face, and why fear sometimes trickles in, it is a process, a cycle, round and round and round. As a parent, as a person, you never reach the end of learning because with each iteration through another question or challenge, our children are older and more experienced, and you are older and more experienced. New things are coming into your lives and others are dropping out, all of which bring new insights. There's always more to learn and understand about ourselves, about others, and about the world. And somewhere along the line, it dawned on me that it's not about figuring it all out so I can finally, from that moment on, live a happy life. This process is a well-lived life. 
So I hope you found some things in this episode that resonated with you on your unschooling journey. I always love the quote from Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. Man's mind, once stretched by a new idea, never regains its original dimensions. I hope your mind has been stretched a little bit today. We are always learning and growing. Take care and have a great week. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to check out the first book in my Living Joyfully with Unschooling series, Free to Learn, Five Ideas for a Joyful Unschooling Life. In it, I share the five paradigm-changing ideas that most help me better understand unschooling. Reviewers have said, A quick read, but packed with ideas that challenge the dominant paradigm of our failing approach to learning. This little gem makes an excellent argument for unschooling. And, I was rather doubtful about this book, as I had never heard of the author, but after reading it, I wish that I had read it years ago. I hope you find it helpful too. Free to Learn has also been translated into French and Spanish. Until next time, have fun living and learning with your family.